It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, by now, guys, you know I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084. Equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know you can do better. With the mortgage though, you may not know this, the interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you could get a lower monthly payment, 
pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments. Buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here. And I need to call a quick timeout, a brief timeout because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley is pod listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. The road to WrestleMania has begun, and in this ad-free show's exclusive, Tony and JR sit down to call the action from some of WrestleMania's biggest matches, including the end of The Undertaker's streak. Hard ending war. I thought that that Taker kicked out. I was wrong. And maybe that's because of my prejudice that I wanted to see Taker win. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see 22 and 0 as well. But this is a historic moment. It really is in not only in WrestleMania history, but in all of pro wrestling, if you think about it. What does everybody want? How about a sit-down exclusive with Al Snow, who discusses a wide range of topics, including his dear friend, Jim Cornette. Jimmy knows and understands his gimmick. Uh, and he knows and understands what draws for him. And like any good worker, uh, Jimmy's going to capitalize on it, you know. And and a lot of what you see is not Jim Cornette. It's it's an aspect of Jim Cornette, and it's just an aspect that Jimmy's turned the volume up on. Apparently, as the years went on, a lot. You know? <laughs> Ad-free show members recently sat shotgun alongside Kevin Nash for a live watch-along of his WWE Championship match against Shawn Michaels at In Your House 7. Catch the event now on demand. Oh, <laughs> a year of A year of brutal matches was too much for the big man. For, too much for the big man's shoulders as he reached in, he reached those, continually reached those shoulders into his pockets and came out empty from the amount of money that was paid him that's just a small taste a sampling if you will of what we have waiting for you with four levels to choose from four see for yourself why ad free shows is the best value in wrestling today sign up now right now at adfreeshows.com yeah symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. We are broadcasting from the Blue Chew Studios. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. Hello and welcome to ARN. This is Paul Bromwell. And today I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spine Buster, 
And as we said last week, based on the number of partners Arn had in the month of June, truly one of the finest tag team wrestlers in the history of the business. He's the enforcer. He's double A. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week? Tremendous plug. We should probably just go off the air after that. We should just shut it down, huh? It's over. That's that's well done, Paul. Thank we're not going to we're not going to top it. Hey, listen, you had one man gang last week. You tagged with Ricky Morton and couldn't even remember that. I mean, they had you. You were Barry Windham. Can I consider you can at this late in your career? And we do podcasts every week. Could I be listed as one of your tag team partners? Yeah, the result would be the same. We'd get the shit kicked out of us. So every random partner that I had, I'm sure, if they, when it was all said and done, went. What God, what's the big deal with this guy? Hell, we got beat in record time. So, you know. Hell, if Larry Zabisco got to be, you know, a tag team partner of yours and called the enforcers, then hell, I think I can be a tag team partner of Arn Anderson. But let's give it a shot. All right, all right. You mind you start do you mind starting the match? I'll start. That's fine. I, okay. I, but I, as long as I'll make the hot tag and you just come in and, and do your thing. I'll get the shit beat out of me, Mulkey style. I don't, I'm not sure we will be in this position of it being a hot tag. Maybe it'll be a get out of there and save your own life. That's right. That's exactly what it is. Listen, let's jump into it this week because we got a lot to cover. We got some Jim Hurd clips that we're going to go through that I'm excited to hear your thoughts on. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Guys, before we do, though, make sure you're checking out the merch over at boxgimmicks.com. Arn worked tirelessly to find a creator that would do justice to the horseman jacket and caps and it is rolling now people are buying the jackets arm was just out a few weeks ago in san antonio the hats are selling and uh you want to make sure if you are a fan of the horseman and all things arn anderson you grab these amazing pieces of merchandise arn i know you were hearing feedback about it uh just when you were in san antonio a few weeks back well it's taken me literally years to get somebody and you take the credit because you found the guy i was just you know horse's ass of making sure that it's something that people would be proud to wear and it took us this long and hey it is top shelf top quality stuff anybody would once you see it are going to go hey i'm glad i got this it's a good stuff and uh everybody seems to be going damn i like that i'll take one of those they are. They're going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, as the commercial said. They're loving the Horseman merch. And so I want to thank Mark Rice and everything he did to help set me up with our partner down in Nashville. They're doing a kick-ass job. Get you a Horseman jacket. Every single person that's hit me up and said, holy shit, you guys were not lying on the podcast. The quality is next level, especially those that got the, the nerd jackets on. They, they are saying it's not even in comparison, not even in the same uh, you know, ballpark. So really thrilled to hear the, uh, what we're hearing, you know, the feedback on that. So uh, outstanding. Make sure you're, you are getting yours and taking advantage of it. Uh, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up. Great way if your significant other says, what can I get you for Valentine's Day? You know what I'd love to wrap myself in? One of those bright red horseman jackets, Valentine's mm. style color. There you go. So Yeah, they're not just black. We got a bunch of different colors. Should appeal to male, female, young, old, whatever you want. There you, you go. Gotta, this- you got choices. You got choices, which we love. Arn, let's jump into it. Last week, we set the table for this week's show talking about all the decisions that would lead us to the first thing we're going to talk about, and that's Jim Hurd's decision 
to fire the nature boy. Flair was a stalwart of the company, eventually the face of, of, uh, of all things Southern wrestling when you think about it. First under Jim Crockett Promotions, later as the champion for WCW. All that would change, my friend, on July 1st of 1991 when Jim Hurd fired Flair following a contract and booking dispute. Uh, Jim had wanted Flair to sign a contract for $350,000 per year, effectively cutting his money and putting him in a financial position where he'd be making less money than Sting and Lex Luger and dropping the world title with no build to Barry Windham. That was his plan. In an ad-free show's exclusive, Conrad Thompson sat down with Jim Hurd a couple of years ago. He discussed uh, his time at WCW, the decisions he made, his vision, regrets. And, Arn, you've never heard all of this interview, and neither have most of our fans, but we picked a couple pieces of this interview to play for our audience today exclusively. And uh, we're going to pick it up when Hurd and Conrad start talking about the turmoil between Rick and Hurd coming to a head over the contract dispute. And in our first clip of the week, it goes about 10 minutes. Uh, and uh, I'm going to play this in full because I think this is important for you. And I want to hear your reaction and why he fired Ric Flair. Here we go. Let's check it out. Well, talk to me about the, the Flair contract because it feels like that comes to a head in July. I think, uh, you know, he's wanting a, a new contract or to, to negotiate an extension. You guys want him to take a pay cut. You even tell him that, hey, we're going to put you in Baltimore and Los Angeles and we're going to put you in mixed tags. Uh, he's going to be teaming with Paulie Dangerously to take on Lex Luger and Missy Hyatt, mm. who at the time was being managed by Jason Hervey, which is probably a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it comes to an impasse, and I think it becomes a bit of a, a shouting match about that belt. And he's relieved of his duties. That's and right. Talk to us about how it I got- took the belt, and I said, we own the belt. You don't own the belt. And he said, I'm the champion. I own the belt. And I said, no, that's the belt. is the NWA's belt. And uh, so, you know, those things deteriorate into things that never happened or couldn't happen. And, and so he ends up at the Vince. Vince sees another opening, and he, and he does it. Talk to me about the decision to not just let Rick drop the belt. I mean, Great American Bash 91, the posters and the commercials were already out there. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be Flair versus Luger. And you want him to drop the belt. He doesn't want to. Uh, he wants a contract extension. You want him to take a pay cut. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it becomes just go drop the belt to Barry. And it just gets to a situation where he's not performing anymore at all. Mm-hmm. What was the reason for the divorce between World Championship Wrestling and Ric Flair? Did you ask him to take a pay cut or were you just not willing to extend his current deal? I just started, I didn't want to get it to pay the same amount that I was paying uh, at the time because I was getting pressure uh, uh, as far as the money's coming in. And so, you know, the dynamics never change. In your opinion, was Flair justified to dig his heels in knowing that supposedly Lex Luger, who he helped effectively make a top star, was making 600000 Sting was supposedly making more than that. Why would he make half of what those guys that he helped make? He, Rick, uh, Luger never made more than 240. Okay. Never. Okay. So, you know, that, and so the difference between his contract and, and Rick's contract was huge. Okay. And uh, I, you know, you can, 
you can try to you can try to make them all happy because mm -hmm. that's what you want to do. You want a happy group so that they will work together and do the same things that we felt we needed to do to uh, attract the kind of eyeballs we need from around the United States to 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 fulfill Turner's ideas of what he wanted. And uh, and that's always in the back of your mind when you when you work for Turner. Uh, he's not only a visionary. He's he's brilliant and and you've got to always remember that he sets the rules, you abide by the rules, and wrestlers don't understand that. You know, I set the rules, and you as a wrestler abide by the rules. And Rick, uh, you know, Rick uh, just finally... It just wouldn't work with Turner with Turner's uh, uh, deal. How much of uh, that was was complicated by Flair's attorney Dennis Guthrie? I read that you and he just did not get along at I all. I didn't like him from the day I saw first saw him uh, because he he lawyered me in coming through the door, mm. and I said, you know, you guys, you may think you have all the of the tools, but I'm telling you one thing, we, my guy behind me has got the tools, and that's cold cash. Ultimately, in hindsight, do you regret the way that whole thing happened with Flair? It does feel a bit like, pardon the language, a pissing contest. Well, yeah, I do. I, I you know, I always thought that Rick and I uh, were friends, and, and, uh, Actually, it turned out that uh, I don't think Rick ever really liked me that much. So, you know, those things uh, have come to bear when you're negotiating uh, who's going to be the champion and who's going to wear the belt and who's going to get this much money. And all those things uh, come to the fore. And uh, whomever is in the middle between the ultimate monies and guys here is going to take the brunt of all the uh, criticism, and that was me. Over the years, you've been criticized for trying to take the belt off of Rick and make other guys. I've always thought you had to try something, because even when Flair was your top draw and was drawing big ratings, you're still losing money, so you haven't really found the solution. You needed to find your Hulk Hogan, mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, younger fans just were not as attracted to Ric Flair as they were Hulk Hogan. No. So you rolled the dice with guys like Sting and Lex Luger, and it didn't work, but it was certainly worth a try since you were losing money, right? Well, we were we were up to a point, and then when when we decided to to decrease the number of shows we did out in auditoriums and arenas and all, we started making money, big time, and uh, it's called because we didn't have all the travel and all of the setting up and all the advertising and you know that goes with uh, performing uh, in a St. Louis or Keel Auditorium or uh, you know United Center in Chicago you got a lot of, of work to do and um, once we, we decreased our presence out in that arena we started making money let's talk a little bit about um, 
Dusty Rhodes. Do you think Dusty Rhodes coming back and, and being on the booking committee is one of one of the other things that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for Rick? Because those guys just did not get along in 1991. Well, right? I think, you know, number one, Dusty, at that point, uh, had lost a lot of the energy that was uh, that helped him become the star that he was. And then, as I said before, Dustin came on a show, came on the scene, his son, and there were a lot of, you know, he wanted to push his son in, uh, and we felt he was, you know, hurting his own, and I can't, um, you know, blast a father for wanting his son to succeed, but he was Dustin, he was pushing Dustin to the point where he was hurting himself. Ultimately, it feels like uh, you made one last-ditch effort to try to salvage this relationship with Flair. Uh, I think you guys met with him at a Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta yeah. on July 8th and had everybody sort of sign an NDA saying they wouldn't talk about this. But you offered him a one-year contract for roughly $750,000. That's what's reported. But at that point, it felt like it was just too far gone. Why couldn't you salvage the relationship there? Well, because those guys... Uh, you know, as I said earlier, their egos wouldn't allow you to settle anything. They're, they wanted to be the top guy, and they, you know, they both wanted to make the top money, and, and at some point, you've got to decide which one you want to go with. Let me ask, when you, when you met with him on July 8th, was that based out of you recognizing, hey, maybe you know, we, we need to let cooler heads prevail and we overreacted or was it more because it was written in the observer at the time, I believe that TBS legal had sort of forced you to try to make amends because technically you had no legal standing to fire him in the first place. Mm -mm. Um, was it you reconsidering or was it TBS saying you need to go try to fix this? Well, I guess it was a little bit of both. I, you know, the, you're right. The TBS lawyers were, were nervous about, Law, you know how you're going to be sued, and sure. and you know do who really as you relate to the belt, who owns the belt? Right, the guy that won it, fair and square, or if you, <laughs> you, you the circumstances surrounding the world's greatest lie, right, <laughs> is hard for lawyers to digest. Arn. Uh, probably the first time you saw that interview. What do you have any immediate thoughts as you watch that back for the first time? <clears throat> so his solution to fixing the issues was to cut everybody's money. And it seemed like to me, especially as we listened to the very opening, was Turner was saying, here's your pie, you need to make sure that everybody gets their slice, but but and and so he's claiming Jim Hurd's claiming <clears throat> I had to make everybody fit within that pie. Everybody had to have their own slice, and so Rick wasn't happy with the slice that we kind of had for him. But I was just doing my job of what Turner wanted, and kind of pushing the blame back to what Turner's expectations were. He was just the middleman. That's kind of how I saw him trying to explain what he was trying to accomplish. And he also then stated that Luger wasn't making 600. He was making 240. Uh, so that's a big difference in numbers. 
uh, from 600 to 240. So it's like, I don't know. I mean, do we know? Is it documented what Luger? So do, you just, believe, do you believe that? Do you believe Lex was making 240? Listen, I'll give you some some facts, okay? Lex, with Jim Crockett Promotions, when he came in, they were sky high on him. Lex got a 350 per year. I don't know if it was times two or times three, uh, but that was the deal, 350, okay? That was with Jim Crockett. Now, if you think Lex is going to come in to WCW when he still has the WWF card to play and take over a hundred grand cut, I ain't buying that. No Based way. on what? Because one thing Heard did was made it very clear that when he saw Sting and Luger and the Steiners, he saw the core of his company. And you know what? Good choices. Look at those guys. If you're building new superstars, those guys would have been a great group to start with a nucleus. But you don't cut your biggest star at the time, which was Ric Flair. Forget about the title. We're just talking about star power. You're going to cut his money. I think Rick was probably making for Crockett maybe six something. I'm just guessing now. Now you're right. going to cut him down to 330. Another thing, Rick, you know, said, well, you know, it was Rick put the deal together with Heard for Tully and I to come back from WWF. Okay. They offered us 250 times three. Now, you're telling me now that went south when Tully, you know, was not brought back. And the quote to me was when I went in to sign my contract is we're going to. Be honest with you, Arne, we're not hiring Tully because of his legal issues, and we're going to cut your money over the three-year period from 250 times three and make it 250 to, or uh, two, let's say it was 250, 200. No, it was three times 250. I'm sitting here. I'm so flipped, I'm drawing a blank. It was three times 250 was my deal. Okay. Okay. And we're going to cut it 50 grand. So it went from 250 down to 200 per year. 200. Yep. And then what? 156, I guess, would have been the three years, right? Mm. So, so it, was it, did they cut 50? Did they go 200, then one, then 150, then 100? Like they scaled down 50 each no, year? No, I, I kept one year at 250, okay. then, two, then 200, then 156. So it was a total of 150 grand it cost me ah, uh, I got over you. the three year period. Okay. Now you're, you're telling me they're going to bring me in and originally with my deal, and I'd be making more than Lex Luger? Yeah. Do you think that's a fact? No that's way. That's a bu bullshit. There's no way that was going to happen. So there's another chink in the armor about telling, you know, lies. That, that Luger stuff. was making 240. Yeah. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's one of those things where when you're talking about cutting Flair's money from all oh, probably in half down to 350. And I want you to cut your hair and I want to call you Spartacus and put an earring in. Take the title from you, the whole thing. You know, take the title, cut your money. That was a, what kind of a beautiful offer was that? Rick had to be going, yeah, I'll take that deal. That's great. All right. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard. 
And f- listen, when Flair was the champion, that was one of the reasons back in 1988 of November that Ted Turner purchased WCW. It was Ric Flair as the champion and having him as the brand. Did you ever hear, you know, what Turner yes. actually thought of all this, this big dispute between his executive and the most important wrestler in WCW up to this point? I'm sure when Turner said, here's your pie, you slice it up any way you want, then that was probably the last conversation he had about that. I don't think it was something that he was monitoring every week or every month or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So Jim Hurd should have been smart enough to go, okay, if I'm going to go Flair, Sting, the Steiners, Luger, that's going to be my core superstars. All right, slice that pie up to make their deals right first. Right. And then what's left, don't bring in a bunch of guys that you're never going to put on TV where they went south as they just kept hiring guys and, and they got to look at them and they never made TV. So they would get paid a year, sometimes two years of guaranteed money. You know, you get a, some guys that are making hundred grand a year times two but never make TV. So where's the return on your investment? You know, that's more slices coming out of that pie. You had to be a little more savvy on who was worth what to even qualify to be able to slice that pie up, right? I got you. I'm with you. Yep. I mean, come on, since when, what made him, you know, the ding-dongs? Is that what made him qualified right. to slice that pie up? The one thing he did say is, okay, they quit running house shows. Well, those numbers that we had on last week's show that weren't very good is because, hey, we hadn't built anything. We're a startup company. It was not built. We weren't doing anything. We weren't shooting the personal angles that would draw people into the arena. So the right thing was to not run house shows because here's here's the thing. Ted Turner bought the company, but we're a television company. So he was paying himself to put our product on TV. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because he owned the... He owned, <laughs> he, owned the, owned the, the he owned the company and the TV owned, channel. And the TV channel, yeah. He yeah. owned the... Yeah, so he's paying himself. Well, that made sense to reel it in. Don't have all these expenses and plane tickets and rental cars and rent for the building and all those until you got a company built. And you could do that just by doing it on TV. And that's eventually why they ended up, you know, uh, stabilizing and moving a lot of their TV shows when Bischoff came in down to, you know, whether they just shot in Florida or whether they just shot in Atlanta and just doing a lot of shows there. You know, The syndicated shows in Orlando, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And when you could, you know, we had plenty of markets right around Atlanta. You could run to do TV, Gainesville, Macon, you know, Dalton, Georgia, you know, Marietta. All kind of little towns that were just short drive back and forth, yeah. uh, you know, and it was expenses that, that that they cut down, and I'm sure they did start to see some better returns on their investment. But of that clip I just saw, I don't believe any of it, other than that one part of it. That that's when we started to show some good some return profit. is when you cut down the house shows. There you yeah. go. Yeah. I want to pause this episode of Arn to make you wear something that Arn and I are really big fans of, and that's Jimmy's Famous Seafood. If you've not eaten there, then you don't know what you're missing. Check it out, jimmysfamousseafood.com. They ship food nationwide, and right now we have an offer for you. 
free two-day nationwide shipping on orders over $125. Now, that excludes steam crabs and some fresh items, but $125. They have items like crab cakes, soups, chowders, oysters, signature steaks. I'm telling you, their crab cake egg rolls are to die for. I get it every time I go. When you use promo code ARN, just those three letters at checkout, you're going to be able to take advantage of that free two-day nationwide shipping. They have several packages that make great holiday gifts, such as the famous gift box. That includes four of the world's best colossal Maryland crab cakes, mm, two different crab soups, crab dip, seafood seasoning, and their signature base sauce. Or there's the tailgate bundle two pounds of wings, a full rack of ribs, a pint of crab dip, and crab cake mix. Or you can create your own package, and boy, do they have options. They've been in business over 40 years. They've been featured in Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and Bobby Flay, and so much more. So check it out, jimmysfamousseafood.com. Use promo code ARN, and you'll get that free two-day nationwide shipping. Again, it's going to arrive so quick, fresh, ice-cold, and you're going to be the hit of your next gathering. Take advantage of this offer right now. Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com, promo code ARN. And then he says, too, I, want, I wanted Flair to lose the belt to, to Barry. Obviously, there's no. it's a cold program, no buildup. Drop the title to Barry to then have him lose it to Luger at Great American Bash. Do you remember any of that creative or why that would have come up or why that was Jim Hurd's option, I guess, for Flair at that point? Well, I remember Barry being promised by her had to be come from her that he was going to make him champion at some point. Uh, but the thing about it is, if you're going to make Barry the champion, then you build Barry properly and you have him win one, two, three, and you have him beat Rick. You know, that's yeah. how you become champion. You don't beat a interim champion he, yeah he wanted him to beat rick to take the belt and rick to do the job to lose the belt but again to your point there was no story there was no build it would just been a cold you know cold match uh, to usher the belt off of him instead of what happened which was flair took the belt with him and then they had to do the whole you know deal that they did at great american bash but uh yeah it just felt this is just such an awkward period to the fan, to the to the fan who's watching and doesn't know all the drama behind the scenes of wrestling and how all this transitioned out and has become now lore in so much that Conrad, you know, dedicated a lot of the interview uh, with Jim Hurd around this whole what happened with Ric Flair. Well, and don't you think Barry Windham, if you if you're a wrestling fan, a real wrestling fan, and you know history and you were there and you saw it, and you watched Barry Windham perform on a nightly basis, don't you think he? You know, as much as anybody earned the right to be crowned the world champion the right way. The right way. Bingo. I agree. Yes. In a, in a 30, 40 minute match, a dog fight with the champion, the recognized champion, Ric Flair was the recognized champion, and he deserved to win with his finish in the middle and become the champion the right way. Yeah, that would have been the dream sequence, especially if Flair and Hurd were not going to be able to absolve or work through their issues, which they didn't. But it would have been good to, to kind of see it play out that way. Uh, we have a few uh, listener questions, Arn, that I want to ask you at this point. First comes from a friend of the show, Drew Landry, and he says, uh, did you know, he wants to know if Rick told you he was leaving, and when, did you, when you found out, how did you react to it? Well... Remember this, too. 
you know, Rick kind of put the deal together for us to come back, but we were, we were, didn't take much coaxing, you know what I'm saying? But if I would have known that he was going to be leaving to come up there pretty soon, I'm not sure we would have made that decision. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, Rick painted a, a pretty rosy picture, and he got us a real nice— at that point in time, that would have been the most money I'd ever made over a three-year period in the business. It was all positive, you know. It sounded like, you know, and the, the s- smaller amount of dates, for sure, was grabbing me at the time. But if I would have known he was going to leave because— Again, Rick was Rick and I were friends, and uh, had been friends for ever since he came to Pensacola in '82, and we met, and we were good friends at that time. And for him to us to get there, we were I was just getting settled in. No Tully, I'm trying to. That's right, he's gone. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to maneuver my way into okay. How can I become a valuable part of this company and this company? And all of a sudden. Well, now Rick's gone. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that were sitting there going, okay, you know, there's a price to pay for being Rick's friend. Yeah. And it's, uh, uh, and I'm going to ask it right now because this is the perfect follow-up question from a wrestling historian. He says, uh, did you and Barry and, you know, any other group consider going back to WWF at all with him? Never. And it wasn't an option. They weren't offering us that. And, and I wouldn't have done it anyway. You know, when I left there, I worked a 90-day notice, which is unheard of. You know, and had Vince wanted to, he could have just beat me on TV every week for 90 days. If he had chose to. He was smart enough to let us go ahead and have our run and, and you know, keep our value right up until the point that I left. Um but he could have very easily, you know, just ate us alive with that deal. But I never one time thought, even when heard when I left his office and he cut my money, uh, now I've got to go tell Aaron this, uh, because we're excited. I mean, we, we had plans going forward, all these things. Uh, but I never one time thought, oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. Never once. Yeah, never it was, once. It's evident that you were happy where you were at this time in life. <laughs> Even losing that much money, which hey, at our house that's a lot of money, buddy. One hundred and fifty grand at anybody's house—that's a lot of money, man. Oof. I mean, it really is, and I, you know, I am not lost on that fact. But I, I was not going to turn around and leave and go back. But it was just a, a situation. Now you had a lot of scrambling in the front office. You had a lot of scrambling about who the next champion was going to be, and it, it was just. I don't remember being involved in a lot of, hey, what do you think coming from the booking committee or any of that stuff or actually being asked. Again, I didn't know you could say no. I didn't say why. I just, once he left, you know, thank God I had my own reputation. I think in the business I was trusted. I was trustworthy. Uh, I think I was a businessman first and foremost. So it wasn't going to be a deal that now Rick's gone and the people are going to start taking pot shots at me. I was my, had my own identity, and I believe I earned that. 
within the industry. Well, Lauren, I, uh, you certainly did. And I have one more clip from this interview that the research guy found for me to share with you. And I don't know of a better time than now, considering we're talking about herd and we've spent this, you know, past several weeks talking about your real life, uh, best friend, Bobby Eaton. Uh, let's listen to what Jim Hurd recalls from James E. Cornett, one of the best tag teams in the history of the business, the Midnight Express. Uh, and this is the last clip from this Jim Hurd interview. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, I think it was, uh, in early August. A uh, a black wreath of black roses yeah. was delivered Cornette. to the office from Cornette. No, you had had a, a big blow up with him, uh, or I guess he had one with Oli and quit. Uh, I, I think he was upset that uh, his boys had been fined five hundred dollars, and he didn't like creative where you guys pitched an idea where you were going to hit him in the head with a pumpkin, and they had lost too much, and they just weren't happy. And perhaps Jim was just burned out. But we haven't well, spent a lot no, of time talking think, about him. No. Look, guys like Cornette, and believe me, I liked Paulie, uh, and um, um, but Cornette, uh, his uh, his mouth, uh, which made him, eventually destroyed him uh, because he he his mouth with the vitriol that he used and against people and and uh, and, and me. Uh, but he uh, he basically, I didn't find his wrestlers. He had two small guys. And you know, and everybody knows, that two small guys wrestling, even if they are good wrestlers, have a tougher time drawing fans than the large gig, bigger-than-life guys. And... Uh, and he was their manager, and of course now they're splitting their honorums uh, three ways instead of two. So you know there was a lot, a lot of give and take on the side of that. But I, uh, I didn't find his wrestlers, but I did say, look, uh, either you can't have any more money, so you know you're either going to have to get some other wrestlers or they're going to have to get another manager. And that's where it all deteriorated into, you know, whatever he wants to think it is. Did I you have a good sense of humor about the, the black wreath that was delivered? Yeah, I thought it was funny. It sure. was. It was charred and whatever. And I took it over to Ross's office and, <laughs> and he brought it back. And Anyway, it was one of those deals that Cornette was famous for. And Cornette was another, uh, he was another guy that uh, lost because because uh, he would gouge his forehead or near his eyes or whatever and bring blood if he had to, to if things weren't going well in the ring or whatever. You know, he's another one of those violent type uh, supporters. And we just didn't want any more of it. I want to talk a little bit about Steve. So, uh, Arm, we got a little bit to unpack there. First of all, his take on smaller guys not drawing money. He's talking about Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. Before I even get there, I forgot to give you one important fact. When I went in to sign my contract, yeah, and he told me he wasn't going to be hiring Tully, I don't think I said this. He said, and Arm, you guys, you're just not worth as much as you guys were worth as a team. That's the reason I'm cutting your money. You as a single is not as worth as much 
as you guys as a team. He's talking out of his ass everything he says. Bobby and Stan are too small. Come on. The Rock and Roll Express are too small. Shawn Michaels is too small. Rey Mysterio is too small. Eddie Guerrero is too small. Small guys can't draw money because you got to group them all in there. Because that was a that was a general statement. Small guys have a hard time drawing money. That's how much that 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 dipshit knows about the wrestling industry. Yeah. He, he sun, just he just exposed himself for why WCW was headed the way it was under his leadership. And just he was looking at big guys, and that's all he looked at. He did. He wouldn't have known who drew money in the territories that they had been working in, and how they did it, and why. He had no clue about that. It was just appearance only, and big guys, small guys had no value. Well, guys with small brains don't know how to run wrestling companies. I think we learned that too. Well, he just gave us a look inside. He, we just took a look inside the mind of the guy that made all those decisions on the front end of WCW. Mm. Well, there you go. So uh, this interview, by the way, with Jim Hurd is available in its entirety over at Ad Free Shows. $29 a month will get you that and all the conversations with Conrad. And I'm telling you, they dig in on a lot of other stuff. So you can find it all at Free Shows. The best value in all of wrestling but uh, Arna, I'm so glad that uh, it just it just seemed apropos to play, play some of this because this was all going on around this era of uh, your career. This is the guy, Jim Hurd, that was your boss that you were dealing with, that you were working contracts out with, and that Ric Flair was having these battles with in July of, of 1991. So I want to give a shout-out to our research guy for, for pulling those in for us this week. Uh, with that, we're going to continue on with what was going on here in July 91 with you. Um, and that was because this was something that hardly ever happened publicly in professional wrestling. The champion, he's leaving with the belt. Heard gave the WCW audience an explanation of Flair's departure on July 13th, and it was on Worldwide. And uh, we have the statement in our uh, next clip here of the week. Let's watch the statement now. This is clip three. This was Worldwide Wrestling. Now, this is Jim Hurd many years earlier than what we just saw, if you're watching us on YouTube. This is from July 13th, 1991, his explanation. Wrestling fans, Jim Hurd, Executive Vice President of World Championship Wrestling, with a very important statement for you fans. World Championship Wrestling is saddened to report that after extensive negotiations with Nature Boy Ric Flair, stretching over the course of nearly one year, the parties have been unable to arrive at a mutually satisfactory contractual relationship. As a result, the WCW board has decided that the best course of action for WCW and its fans is to declare the World Championship title vacant and to determine a new champion at the Great American Bash this Sunday in Baltimore. Lex Luger, the number one contender and current United States champion, will remain on the title card at the bash. His opponent, as determined by the WCW board, is one you've been waiting for and asking for for a long time. It's Barry Windham versus Lex Luger at the Great American Bash in Baltimore. On a personal note, I'd like to take this opportunity to extend my best wishes to Ric Flair and wish him the best in the future. He is a great champion. So there it is, uh, the statement from... Uh, Jim heard, and uh, that's going to put a bow on his explanation to the people. 
And that's a bunch of shit. He didn't mean any of that. What a, what a blowhard. Uh, the fact of him extending, you know, Ric Flair well and his best wishes and all that. Uh, such corporate BS. So, uh, so there it is. Um, one thing that we want to note here, Arn, is that Flair does take the big gold belt with him. We all know that uh, at this point because WCW did not return his security deposit. Flair wanted that deposit back plus interest. Heard refused. He mailed the title to Vince. Um, and uh, until TBS sued Vince, the title was actually shown on WWF programming. First seen during a segment with Bobby Heenan, who teased the arrival of the real world's champion. Aaron, you always said yes. You, you've talked about it. You always try to do the right thing as far as business was concerned. So let me ask you, was Flair justified to take the title with him? Well, number one, we probably should back up and cover one thing. They offered him in a final negotiation 750. That's right? what uh, we learned, yes. Okay, well, doesn't that tell you that that's what he was probably making or what he was worth? That's a good point. And they, they, and they finally buckled. and was Because if they truly didn't feel like he was worth any more than 330 why would they go to 750 I guarantee it, you TB, TBS and Turner got involved and lawyers got involved when they heard Flair was headed headed out. Well, I'm sure this got leaked out to the fans, and the fans did not sure. want to see Rick go to WWF. Rick was an NWA guy. He was, yeah. It and was I'm so sure, weird to see him in WWF at first. Well, I'm sure there was an outcry. I'm sure there was, there was no social media, but I'm sure whatever vehicles were able, there was an outcry of do not let Rick Flair, who's the face of the company, leave. I mean, fix it, in which they didn't listen to, right? Yeah. You know, the thing about it is, if in this business, <clears throat> promoters, whatever they are, owners of the company, do not pay you more than what they feel you are worth unless it's in their own best interest. Let me just put it to you that way. They just don't because they don't have to. And uh, that was the telltale sign. Okay, now getting back to your, what was the question? The question is, do you think Flair was justified taking the belt with him? Uh, his, his point was, listen, um, they didn't return my security deposit that I put down on the belt. So do you feel like he was justified to take the belt with him? Well, in the day, if I understand it correctly, back in the day when you were the champion and you had the belt, you put up a deposit so that you didn't leave with the belt. That was guaranteeing... You know what I mean? That yeah. that you would not take off to a rival company with with a belt, and then when you change the belt to a new champion, you got your deposit back. That was the way they did business, right? Yeah, and I think he put down like a twenty five thousand dollar deposit, and they wouldn't return it to him. Yeah, so you know that being the case, if they would have offered to give him the 25 grand or tried to give it to him or whatever and then he left with the title anyway then you have something different but i think them refusing to pay him i mean once again i mean yeah. i don't i don't know i mean i don't know what the right call is there they ended up getting it back he comes back down the road it all works out in the wash but in the moment you know there's a lot of bad blood you can you can hear it you can see it you can feel it at this point and uh it's just one of those decisions made at a very tumultuous time well and what you ended up having on the backside is you had barry and luger struggling 
and wrestling for second place. And that's where we're going to get into next year, Arn, is the, you know, Flair's departure forces that audible. Barry takes his spot. The Great American Bash 91 is considered one of the worst WCW pay-per-views. That's not me saying it. It's considered by the wrestling fan base in general uh, in the history of the company. During the event, Arn, fans chanted, we want Flair. We want Flair. And they booed both Luger and Wyndham. Uh, we have the final three minutes of this less than successful main event arm. Let's take a look at how this one ended double A. Here we go. Where Wyndham puts his people for the superplex. And it's going to be Luger this time if he can execute it. Wyndham held on to the cage. Luger fell straight back on his back. And now Wyndham steps up one more notch to the top. Wyndham with a lariat. If he can cover him, we may have a new champion. But look at Luger reaching down deep here in the fourth quarter to come up to one knee. Jim, this is a great athletic contest. Two of the greatest athletes in the world. The elevation from Wyndham. He's poised and ready for the lariat. Luger now is in deep, deep, deep trouble. This match one fall for the WCW World's Heavyweight Championship. At this time, the championship is vacant. And now, Wyndham on top. These guys are giving us all they have here at the Great American Bash. Again, going for it all. They don't want a single. They want home runs. He got a kick right to the face. What a move by Wyndham. Can Luger get out one, two, oh! How much how close was it? Almost misjudged his distance right there. Barely got a foot up. And coming down the rampway is that's Harley Race on the right. Mr. Hughes on the left. What's this all about? I have no idea. Harley Race, a multiple-time world champion. And Mr. Hughes, who I is the bodyguard of the York Foundation. Now are they, what's the deal? Are they with Barry Wyndham? No! Harley Race is over there talking to Luger. Race said, now's the time. Race was a master of the pile driver. Harley Race said, now's the time. He's got him up in the pile driver. And there he, he planted him. With that Harley Race pile driver, there's Mr. Hughes. I'm somewhat baffled about their presence. Speaking of Hughes and Race. They had to gimmick a belt for that match for Luger to hold one up because they didn't have the official one ready yet, which, by the way, you can get a history lesson on that from Dave Milliken and Conrad over at Ad Free Shows uh, on Title Chase, that series. But, Arn, I mean, I want to ask you, how difficult is it to have no build, they had no story, 
And then you you know you're just the alternative uh, here. They the, Flair was billed as the match. He was the main event, and the crowd's chanting, "We want Flair." How difficult is that going to be for a guy like Barry Windham to come in and just play that role? Oh God, it's it's damn near impossible. Oh. And they're chanting Flair. That was one of those vehicles we we're talking about earlier. The fans used what they had at their disposal to let you know their distaste and what you were doing. If they're chanting flair during that match, that was one way. Since there was no social media, that was their way of going, what are you guys doing? Right. That was the way of voicing their opinion to the world. 100%. And it just, you know, the guys are working their ass off out there. But, you know, the title was about flair. And I don't know what you do in that circumstance, Arn. I mean, we look back on it today. Is it an immediate, hey, let's start a tournament? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Obviously, they consider Luger to be number one contender. He's supposed to fight Flair that night for the belt. So it's hard to say what the right call was, but that just felt very, it obviously was. Rushed, had to do something, and Barry just has to be the sacrificial lamb. Do you know the only answer that I can come up with and the only truth that I can tell you there is no second place yeah it wasn't a matter you know whatever they did it wasn't it was it was not flair defending the title and dropping the title anything it was a distant anything else was a distant anything else sucked yeah yeah it did well Lauren, listen in case you forgot buddy you closed the show you closed the show for this one Oh, and there's a story behind that, too. I can't wait. You team with Paulie Dangerously against Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt inside a steel cage. Before I let you tell your story, though, we're going to watch it because it only takes less than three minutes. And you close out the show. We have the match in its entirety for our uh, fifth clip of the week. Let's check it out. Rick Steiner's brother Scott is not here. He may be out of action for five more months. And speaking of the hardliners, they're on their way down the ramp. There's Murdoch and Slater, Tony. What's going on here now? Let's keep them out of the cage. That's for sure. Hey, they got Missy Hyatt. Murdoch and Slater. Nayland, they got Missy Hyatt. The fans here don't... They're trying to help Missy, but they're dealing with the wrong two guys right there to deal with. So it's going to be Rick Steiner by himself in the cage. Missy was, I guess, receiving the adulation of the fans a little too long out there. So now it's uh, Wimpy Paulie Dangerously and Arn Anderson, the enforcer. I'm going to say, and you can see that he's smiling because basically... It's two on one, but I'm not so sure if Paulie Dangerously is even going to come into effect here. Paulie will just sit in that corner. It's basically down to Arn Anderson and Rick Snyder here. If Paulie's smart, he will sit in the corner. He would maybe go over to the Virginia state line and sit in that corner. <laughs> Look at him. He's hiding behind the ring post. Anderson now, with the early advantage, trying to 
Take over on Rick Steiner. Paul Lee at one time. Successful manager. And basically, if he's smart, that's what he'll be in this one. Not a participant. Well, the hardliners are... That's another thing. It's a little... Where did, where did they take Missy? That's a good question. Oh, he caught it in midair with a power slam. Rick Steiner with a watchful eye toward Paulie Dangerously. Anderson from behind buries the knee. Anderson's as tough as they come in WCW. I will assure you, fans. Rick's got him up. Look at Paulie up on top. Well, he, he nailed him, Jim. Got him from behind. He may have broken his hand. That's the most athletic thing I've ever seen Paul Lee do. He's got his cowboy boots on. And now he's giving one of them to Arn Anderson. Paul, uh, Rick Steiner been playing a little possum here. <laughs> he, oh, Steiner line on Arn Anderson. He's out of it. Uh-oh. He's by himself now, Jim. The, the person that does Paul's laundry may be the only one that knows just how scared he really is right now. Rick Steiner with a handful of the vastly receding hairline from Paul Lee. He's got him up. He slams it. Is it Steiner line time? Oh, Steiner line. Paul Lee with Steiner line. And Rick Steiner pins Paul Lee dangerously. And ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the match, the team of Missy Hyatt. And Rick Steiner! Well, uh, it's really easy to see why this was considered one of the worst pay-per-views of all time, Arn. It followed a match that nothing to do with the match, but the conclusion and the story left a sour taste in everybody's mouth. They literally looked at me and said, you got five minutes to get the whole thing done. We're uh. off the air. We're off the air. What are, you, what are you going to do? I mean, what? I don't even remember why Missy and Paul were there. Did you see, by the way, Dick Slater and uh, and Dick Murdoch, when they grabbed her, that fan took swings at Dick, Dick Murdoch. He, he flipped Dick Murdoch's hat off, and Dick Murdoch took a swing at the fan. Uh, security finally came in to pull him back. I don't know what that idiot fan was thinking, by the way. He's just lucky he didn't slap Dick Slater in the head. Oh. <laughs> but, but anyway, so that was, for those fans lights, watching, lights, that was a little out. mutso. That was a little mutso at the beginning. And they, they they ran off with Missy. But then, yeah, I mean, it was just like, what are we doing? What did that, what did that even do for us here? It was just to put a, whatever, a, a period on the, a bad story. I mean, there was no time to tell it, to have a match, to have a story, to have anything. It should have never went on. I mean, in a cage, it didn't mean anything. You know what I mean? It was. Yeah, it, was it, just, it had meant nothing to it. It didn't. Arn, we're going to get into a couple questions about this match, and then we got uh, we're going to we're going to talk about our favorite sponsor. Uh, th- Matt Richards wants to know why two of the greatest wrestlers ever, you and Rick Steiner, were only given two minutes and eight seconds in a cage match to close the show. You just told us they basically said after that whole match, you guys got five minutes to do what you got to do. We got to get off TV. Yeah, and we're off the air no matter what. You're either done or we're going to go off during the match. Wow. 
So was that just timing issues with that Wyndham Luger match or what? The, whatever the show is that came on after this, this was a... This was a pay-per-view, though. This is a bash. Oh, this is a pay-per-view. Okay. Yeah. I think it was a situation, if you went over the allotted time, you're gonna, right. it's going to cost you a pretty penny. So whoever's Which, timing the show out has is either struggling with it or something went over that shouldn't have. Yes, Yes, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I, don't get me wrong, Rick Steiner could have beat me in 30 seconds and never looked back. That's not the point. It, uh, you want to give the audience something to go home smiling about. And Jason's, you can't do it in five minutes. That's entrances. Yeah. That's, that's the whole shooting match. Man, that's crazy. Uh, Jason Scott wrote in, Arn, when Flair left, did it feel like the world was crashing down? Was it like for you personally being a member of the Four Horsemen and now closing a show with Rick Steiner in a two-minute match. And that's well, a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, it's like... I don't know if you can kill a career off because I think the people that have followed me up to that point knew that it was, you know, hey, just being put in a bad situation and being a good soldier and doing what you're asked. I don't think it had any bearing on who or what I had accomplished in the business up until that point. I hope not. I hope everybody didn't give up on me. Apparently not because we got people listening to us today. Paul, we still got the dangerous alliance coming yet. So you're good story-wise. Yeah. So we, that's going to be another story, mm -hmm. but it's, uh, it's just one of those things that, uh, you, like I said, in those days, I didn't know you could say no. And I didn't ask why I just did what they asked. Our final question about this match comes from Bryant Haremza. He wants to know if you recall why Missy was pulled from the booking. Was this simply because of the timing restraints, or was there a bigger plan, or do you even remember that? Pulled from the... From the booking of the match. She was supposed to be... It was supposed to be two-on-two, two and they immediately just went out, grabbed her, and brought her to the back, and she had nothing to do with it. That was probably a quick fix, because anything we planned spot-wise with her and Paul, there wasn't time for. Gotcha. There wouldn't have been time to, I'm sure we had something set up for her to smack Paul around some, but yeah, that would have been fun. Out. That would have been entertaining, but you had sure. no time for it. Yeah. Sure, there was no time. Arn, it's abundantly clear that the Great American Bash was an utter failure on all levels. The fans demanded something different. The product failed to deliver, and the action was lackluster from start to finish. And guys, if I just described your last sexual encounter, it's time for you to hit the hat tag from one of our oldest and most loyal sponsors, our friends at Blue Chill. Isn't that right, Arn? Listen, a lot of things you can't control in today's world. Every day you cut on news and there's all kind of negative things. One thing that's positive, <laughs> pop you open a, uh, a blue chew, crack open a bottle of wine or cold beer or a cocktail, whichever is your choice, and make mama feel special. There it is. One thing that's positive is popping a blue chew and then popping a pup tent. I mean, that is positive. That's a, that's a win-win situation, isn't it, Arn? Feel good stuff. Oh, feel good. Is, is, there's no doubt about it. It's an online prescription service, boys and girls. There are no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. You've heard us talk about it. Not a small package, but a discreet package. And it's simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, 
You're going to get that prescription within days. And uh, the best part, it's all done online, as I said. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no problem there. They have chewable tablets as well. And uh, we know there's lots of reasons why guys can't perform, whether it's performance anxiety, getting inside their own heads, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's a side effect of some medication you're on. You don't have to worry about that when you have the confidence of popping a blue chew. So listen, do it. Go to bluechew.com and make sure you perform at your very best. Try Blue Chew free. That's right, free. When you use our promo code ARN at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's it. Go to bluechew.com, promo code ARN to receive your first month free. That's bluechew.com slash ARN. And you can go to bluechew.com right now for more details and safety info. So, Arn, a week after the Great American Bash, you found out your next tag team partner. Because, buddy, that's just what happens with you around this time period. It's tag team partner after tag team partner after tag team partner. And he reminds everyone that he beat Bruno. I beat Bruno, San Martino. San Martino. <laughs> and, oh, Arn, you nicknamed him the Cigar Store Indian. That's right, double-A. It's the birth of the enforcers. You and Larry teamed together for the first time on July 20th, 1991. So if you ever want to get that that tattoo of a special date on your body, it's July 20th, 1991, forever etched in history. You and Larry become tag team partners. It's an enhancement match, our sixth clip of the week. It's the debut of the enforcers. Here we go. Connie Rich would love to make the tag, and indeed... He certainly needs to, but Anderson and Zabisco know that as well, and they aren't allowing that. Backdrop, and this young kid, Scotty Allen. You know, Sid, this is not Michael P.S. Hayes or Jimmy Jam Garvin in the ring either, J.R. Well, you're at, that's a very uh, good point. Even though Allen and Johnny Rich try to make a competitive team, they are not the United States Tag Team Champions. But look at this team, stomping again the back they know exactly what they want to do they have one thing on their mind out here and they are executing a great game plan as Arn Anderson leers down at Diamond Dallas Page is this in his corner yeah it is as a matter of fact I hope we don't have any more problems uh, here at all a little uneasy about this situation Anderson now back on his uh, other side of the corner there as Zabisco again slams Allen. A lot of great wrestling teams in WCW. And there's the Boston Crab, one of the most basic, yet sadistic and effective moves in the sport. A submission maneuver. Yo, at any point, JR, these guys could have beat him, and I can't believe that they're punishing this kid like this. I think they are here to perhaps send a message loud and clear to anyone with a championship belt. And with you sitting here at ringside, they're giving you a first-hand look at what they would like to do, obviously, to the Freebirds. Well, let me tell you something. Oh, there's a spine buster. Ooh, and ahs come from the crowd here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the match, from an Iron Anderson, the living legend, Larry Zabisco, the Diamond, we'll keep our uh, eye on the contract signing. Keep us abreast of the negotiation. The Enforcers. Arn, how'd you like this? You and How long ago was that after the Steiner match? How long did this 
Oh, this was pretty. So the, the Steiner match was what, July 15th? This is World Championship Wrestling on the 20th. Five days later, we yeah. had a new team. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess Larry wasn't doing anything at the time. You, but listen, you guys really stretched those boys out on that match. Yeah, I mean, Larry could go. When Larry yeah. wanted to wrestle, Larry was real good. He really was. Yeah, and listen, I know we like to have a lot of fun uh, with you guys, but and it, with that, we're going to do one more clip this week, and that's it. We're done, but it's a promo with you guys from July 27th to wrap up the, the month, 1991. Jim Ross conducts an interview with you and Larry, and uh, I want to hear what the enforcers have to say. Let's check it out, Arm. Ladies and gentlemen, watching the enforcers in action, we heard their challenge to the Freebirds for the United States Tag Team Championship. Next week on the broadcast during the World Tag Team Title Tournament, they will take on the Young Pistols. Larry Zabisco, Arn Anderson have to be leading contenders for any championship they choose to go after. Yeah, let me tell you something, Ross. Once upon a time, there was a creature that walked the face of the earth, and he was a feared thing. He was the kind of guy that would look death in the face and spit in its eye. And his spirit sat on the horse next to Attila the Hun and rode in the car next to Frank Nitty. And slowly technology has beaten this creature down to where in the 1990s, he's on the top of the endangered species list. And I'm talking about the real man from a time when men were men and women kept their mouths shut. Then we had these idiots like Charles Darwin, Dr. Spock, L. Ron Hubbard, convince all these fools that the pen is mightier than the sword. But you know what? When the pen fails, the world calls in the enforcers. And as far as I'm concerned, the two last real men are right here. Larry Zabisco and Arn Anderson. The bottom line is, in amateur sports, sportsmanship is the way to go do the right thing but in a grown man sports professional wrestling the winner is the one who ends up with the most toys i'm talking about the u.s belts i'm talking about the world belts i'm tired of covering everybody else's butt i'm looking after me i'm looking after him and the only one i have to please is my banker and that is the bottom line and so we come back. We'll hear from Gordon Soley, the WCW Control Center. There you go. The only one you got to worry about is your banker. Arn, this is why we're entitling this episode The Last of the Real Men. That's a promo I'm not sure Larry could get, a, could get away with uh, nowadays. But you talk about heat, man. You and Larry got the point across you guys are after the tag belts, whether it's the U.S. or the tag, World Tag Team Champions. Uh, I'm liking it. I'm liking this duo. And it felt like to me <clears throat> that was a dismissal of me and the horseman. Yes, you nailed it. That's what I got from that, and that's the way it was intended. Because so I saw that as being a mood issue, dead, 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 dead. Uh, that was exactly where I was going next, I, that this felt like the official divorce from the horseman but uh you picked up right on it right off of that uh right off of that uh that promo so 
that's where we're at. And uh, we got a couple uh, questions that we're going to wrap up this week's show with. And uh, first one is, 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 comes to us from Scott Golden, and this is about you teaming with Larry. And he said, whose idea was it for you and Larry to become a team together? And did you hear of any other potential partners around this time that you can recall? No, I don't remember the circumstances, but it was such a off-the-wall thing. I want to say it might have been Dusty. Okay. Maybe. And, uh, you know, it just kind of fit. You know, we look, you know, about the same size, and but different in every other way. Our, You know, our styles, our promos, everything was different, which I always liked. Uh, opposites attract whatever you want to whatever cliche you want to use and uh, it was an interesting uh, interesting thing to consider you both had similar body types you both were sporting hairy chests you know so you kind of had a similar look going on there <laughs> I wouldn't have looked at those two things but okay <laughs> we're still coming off the blue chew gimmick I guess the fumes, <laughs> the fumes are still in the air oh man but you just you guys had a similar look right you just I yes. mean, you know outside yeah. of you didn't have a mullet like he did but you guys just you just kind of had the similar look there well, uh, sorry for the awkwardness we're uh, not but we're, we're not body guys we're but you look good you look like or you wrestlers know, you, yeah you looked like wrestlers uh, Drew Landry wants to know if the unannounced death of the horseman, that's a good way to put it, was a management decision, and did this ending sour the horse, horseman for good? I saw it coming. I mean, it, I mean, let's face it, you know, Flair was gone, Barry was the only one left, and, you know, Barry was doing his own thing, and that was it. I, I mean, it was the writing was on the wall, I thought. Uh, Brad Stanton asked, even though the horsemen were finished, did you think, hey, I, I know they'll be back at some point? No, I just had, I had enough seasoning and experience and had been through all the politics you could probably go through for a guy my age at that time. And You're ready for something fresh. Man, I had a hold on, as long as it was put my own destiny, if I could bet on me, I knew I'd be fine. That's it. That's exactly where Josh Clemens uh, heads with his question. He says, even though the end of the horseman run had to be tough, did the opportunity to try different paths, ultimately ending with the dangerous alliance, make things exciting and fresh? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Great perspective, Josh. And, buddy, on that note, we've come to the end of our coverage of July 91. Next week, we will continue the walk of uh, through of the Enforcer's career. And I'm talking about the continued partnership with Larry. Um, we're going to have more fun with that. The chase for another set of tag team titles. And some of the new teams that you guys would face, because there's uh, some new tag teams. You talked about the, the Pistols. Uh, we're going to get into those guys, and, and it'll be good. And uh, before we get out of here, we don't want you to forget, we're about 90 days away from the release of Arn Anderson, My Life as Wrestling's Enforcer. That graphic novel currently being created. The pages are being put together and crafted. That book is uh, is in process. Dirk Manning has sent all those emails out, so we're really excited about that, and we want to thank you again for all of you that have pledged to make this graphic novel on Arn Anderson's life a reality, Arn, I cannot wait for my copy, my friend. Thank you, sir. I uh, would like to mention one other thing. Tonight, Williamson, West Virginia, on the 11th, Brock is uh, going to be at wrestling 
for All Star Wrestling. That's Williamson, West Virginia. I will be there. We're going to do a signing prior to that. So not too far from Charlotte, up over the mountain, we're going to get uh, we're going to get some more reps. So anybody that's in the listening area, drivable, come on down, sis. We'd love to see you. There you go. This show drops on the 11th uh, of sa- Saturday. But for our ad-free show members, too, if you're in the area, you get this early and ad-free. And if you're within driving distance of West Virginia, that's the place to be to see both Brock and Arn on the 11th. And, uh, man, sounds like a cool opportunity. Arn, are you going to be doing meet and greets there or just to come yes. in? Oh, yeah. Bo- okay. Both of us will. And I think unless it changes now, and we're excited about this, I think Brock is going to be teaming that night one night only with none other than heath slater oh there you go and he's just fighting for his kids yeah (laughs) yeah and one of my favorite people oh that's cool Heath slater's a mess can't wait to see can't wait to see him and visit with him there you go awesome well listen we wish you nothing but success arn we're going to do it all over again guys by the way hit up our social media look for those ask arns because uh, after we get through august then it's time for another ask arn anything uh so make sure you start thinking of what those questions could be hopefully this has been a really fun opportunity for you to get inside the man and hey we just watched a lot of that jim hurd stuff if those didn't prompt some questions maybe about that period in time or or some things uh, then i don't know what will uh, but, man, this has been a lot of fun with you, Arn, this week. We're going to get together and do it again next week. On behalf of the Enforcer and the founder of the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here again next week for another episode of Arn. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.